So it goes back to the nine to five. The notion, I remember, man, the notion of hitting networking events because I was interested in getting to a particular title and going out there and kissing people's butts and just to be part of the gang, if you will, that is exactly why I was willing to hustle and work two full-time jobs and what have you. Because I did not want to be spending all my time going after all those things that we're told to do so we can get this title, so we can get more and more money, so that by the time we're 65, we can go enjoy the world. No, you can actually organize your life today, and that's what you were talking about in terms of lifestyle design, where you are enjoying your life to the fullest now. I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Welcome back, Contrarian Cashflow. I've got uh, Maurice Philogene with me this afternoon. Maurice, what's up, my man? What's up, dude? Nice to see you, brother. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, you too. And uh, I got to start us off with, I'm just so grateful that you're here because I know that uh, you're, one of your quotes that you love is one of the ones that my wife and I talk about all the time and tell our kids is everything in life is a choice. So I'm, I'm very grateful that, uh, that you're choosing to spend this uh, next hour or so with me chatting about some pretty high value, uh, as you just mentioned, high vibration activities. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's my honor. All right. All right. Well, so Maurice, for those that don't know, is, uh, I don't know, man, he's, a, I don't even know a jack of all trades. That's like selling him short. But uh, so he is definitely a travel expert first and foremost. But uh, let me get the list started. Management consultant. He just recently retired from the armed services. So Mo, thank you for your service there. Highly appreciate that. Police officer, multifamily real estate investor, and I think for me, big, the big one is uh, the lifestyle design expert and uh, a loving father. So, man, I mean, you pack so much in on a daily basis, monthly basis, yearly basis. What do you got going on right now? Uh, well, first of all, thanks again for having me on, dude. It's, it's so good to finally meet you after all this time. And it's always nice when you get around like-minded people, man. So this is a pleasure for me. So what's going on now? I am heavy on the real estate stuff right now. Just this past year, me and four other partners formed Quattro Capital, which I think you know about now. But effectively, I was doing real estate on my own since 2002. I had some pretty good success at it on the single family side through 2015. Flipped over to multifamily, more so from a personal development perspective. I just wasn't growing. Like money's one thing, but when you stop growing as a person, you need another challenge. And multifamily was that challenge for me. And then I got really smart in 2019 or 18 when I met uh, Erin Hudson, who's one of my partners now. And she connected me to three other partners, Chad Sutton, Kim Wenland, and Tammy Sutton. So that they're, they're part of a family. And we formed Quattro Capital Men. And um, the reason why I say I, I, I waited too long because I was down that real estate path on my own for, for way too long, man. And this year, we have closed on five complexes. We have three complexes, four complexes under contract. Three will close in the next 60 days. Another one will close at the end of December or January. And then one more that we just put an LOI on. You just don't accomplish that much that fast on your own. So I feel blessed to have found the right partners at the right time uh, for me. So that's kind of what the big thing that's happening right now. And there's only something in the background happening called coronavirus, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> man, yeah. that is huge. I mean, that is, and that's, yeah. that's just the real estate stuff, right? I mean, that's, that's awesome. Well, I'm, I mean, obviously I'm super tickled for you guys. I mean, the amount of velocity that you guys have going on is outstanding. So, man, ever since I've heard, you know, your first comments and their first, you know, kind of your story, I just think it's so compelling and so interesting. So I, I love to share the journey and I really yeah. kind of your perspective on the world is so unique and I think so needed for others, uh, especially others that are successful and, and feel kind of stuck. So, you know, where did this all start? And, you know, let's, let's get going on the journey piece. And uh, you've got a lot of pretty cool facts, uh, you know, through, through childhood and, and throughout. So let's get at it, man. Yeah. You know, um, where did it all start? Yeah. It, it all, listen, I, I'm an immigrant kid. My family's from Haiti. Um, my brother and I were the first ones born here. 
And I was born in New York, raised in Boston, and then came down to D.C. to go to University of Virginia. One thing my folks gave me was education. My dad is a 30-year educator, retired as a school principal out of Boston. My mother was a 20-year guidance counselor. Especially immigrant families, education is typically pushed. But at that point, you're kind of on, you know, I don't want to say on your own, but in my family, it's like, we gave you the education, you got to go figure it out. Once I got out of University of Virginia playing football, doing ROTC and doing mechanical engineering, my consulting firm hired me where, where I still am today after 23 years. So that's been a journey. Don, I did not like some, I remember vividly when I was 21 thinking to myself, this nine to five thing, sitting here for 20 years, 20, 25 years, and then this word retirement pops up. That just wasn't for me. That's not something I wanted. So that's kind of where the journey started. I started researching personal finance. I'll never forget, I bought personal finance for dummies for $3 and change in New York City. And then by happenstance, and I do think the universe plays a lot into this stuff, I bought a place to live, my first condo in 2002. The boom started, the 2000 boom cycle started. A few months later, that condo was worth 30 grand more. I asked my dad, what was this? He said, you just made 30,000 in equity. And then by the end of the year, I had bought 10 more because I was like, did I just make someone's salary in three months because the market moved? And that's kind of how the real estate journey started. So it was, it was a recognition that I needed to make some changes on the financial side and then real estate kind of poked in. So how do you end that first year? I mean, 10, 10 properties, you know, in your portfolio. I mean, most people don't even have 10 properties in their portfolio, you know, kind of throughout life. So how did you go from yeah. one to 10 in the first 12 months? I mean, that's, that's impressive. I, I don't know. But listen, and th- that's the thing. Like everybody thinks there's some magic formula, some magic pill No, the one quality that I had then and still have now is that I'm willing to fall forward. Some people call it falling forward or failing forward, whatever. I didn't have a a human mentor. I had a library. So I just kept going back to the library to aisle six and picking up real estate books and figuring out how to do it. And I took military money. I took Accenture money where I was working, the consulting firm where I work at. I took any found money from taxes. Just kept creating down payments. And I found one real estate broker who gave me an awesome piece of advice, which was, hey, Maurice, if you're going to get into this real estate racket, instead of buying one giant dodo egg, like just buy 12 little small things. There's less risk. There's more cash flow. There's more economies of scale. And she just kept helping me buy condos along the way. And what I did over a 14-year period, I mean, this is kind of a condensed story, but I essentially just kept buying single family homes and rather than going out on the weekends and wasting my money and hitting the bars and all that type of stuff don't get me wrong i still have my fun but i took pretty much 80 percent of everything that i made and i just started paying condos off over the years until in 2014 i had 18 places paid off so it was just a very calculated slow grinding journey of i want the passive income I want more passive income than I make from my employer. All for the, not for the, not for the money, John. It wasn't that. It was to be in control of my time and to have choices. So 2014 came along and I realized that I was technically financially free. And I self-managed all that stuff for the years. And then I finally got smart in around 2013. And I hired five property managers to take care of about 30 places. Wow. I mean, that's, well, so one of the things you touched on there that I think is impressive is the the amount of time that it takes, right? I think so many people get caught up in saying, okay, well, I want to be financially free. Okay. How can I do that quickly and fast? And I think that's one of the challenges, especially for folks that have high incomes, uh, you know, or whatever, relatively speaking, make good money at their career. It, It takes time, right? I mean, that passive income is great, but it does take time. And I just like your authenticity and honesty saying, hey, it took you know, 11, 14 years to really get to that point where, Hey, now I'm free. And I think that's the problem with this, you know, my generation and just kind of upcoming generations is this instant gratification and the honesty that, I mean, your intentionality and your focus on doing this was probably more greater than 90% of people. And it still took that time frame, right? You know, and you had, you know, these different means and avenues, but I think that's such a tremendous point that you bring up is it's not a snap your fingers and tomorrow it's a, you know, you're financially free. No, it's not. Uh, Gary, Gary V talks about all time, right? Patience. I, I'll give myself credit. I have patience, man, but I don't want to make it sound like it was all roses and bubblegum and stuff. Cause it was, 
I did it, John, but it was like lonely. <laughs> it was it was like this lonely road of deploying for the military because I knew I could get more money, right, from danger pay and things of that nature. And the consulting firm would still pay me my salary, but I had to pay it back when I would get back from the military. So I would use the salary, pay a property, and then pay the consulting firm back. Like it was just this whole weaving of stuff. And at the time, none of my fellas were doing anything that I was doing, right? Nobody was doing the entrepreneurial track or I was getting involved in restaurants at the time. I was getting involved in anything that I could get my hands on that would pay passive income because I knew in the future that that's what, that's what I wanted. But I never wanted to sound like, man, it's this glorious thing that occurs and da da da. It sucks. It, when, I back, when I look back on it now, when everybody was like hanging out during the weekends and I had properties that were 300 miles apart from each other, Southern Virginia, all the way north to the Maryland, Delaware line. And when my tenants called, it was me. Like I was in the car every Friday, every Thursday, every Saturday, every Sunday, painting a wall, putting down roach traps, fixing a toilet. I missed out on a lot. Uh, uh, I'll tell you that much. And, and one more thing. When I did graduate from University of Virginia when I was 21, I went down to Lackland Air Force Base in Texas for ground combat training and then security forces school, which is like military police commander school. And I'll never forget this. October 3rd, 1997, I graduated from that school. I drove back to D.C. I didn't have a place to live. I called my parents. They, I told you, my parents gave me education, but they said, we don't have any money. I called a buddy from college. And thank God he picked up the phone because his mom let me live in the basement for three months because I had no money. And um, we ended up getting an apartment January of 1998 together. And I slept in my military tent in my apartment for six months while I would get a check from the consulting firm. Then I would go buy a shirt and a pair of pants and I'd wait for the next check and go buy this and this and that. It took me like a year and a half to have a normal life. So I, I say all that to say, like I did have the patience to try and figure this stuff out, but when there is a, uh, oof, when there is tough times like that, you've got, you got to have patience to figure this stuff out. Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing the honesty and transparency of, you know, the struggle, right? I mean, I think that's what other people get. A lot of people get caught up in as well is seeing the victory and seeing, Hey, look, you know, Maurice is doing all these cool things. He's doing all this cool stuff. He's all over. He's a globe, you know, globe traveler. He's doing all sorts of fun stuff, but you know, they don't look at the struggle and what it took to actually get there. So, well, one thing you mentioned that I want to dig into a little bit more is the value of your time. I know that's one thing that you talk about a lot. So you said you missed out on a lot and obviously you've probably learned a lot, but how have you, how have you re evaluated your value of your time, you know, changing the toilets, painting the walls, putting the roach traps then versus today. And what's your recommendation for the audience for their value of their time? Yep. Listen, time is everything. Time is the only real asset that we have in life. If you look at your life and days, we have 28,000 days to live roughly if we're going to live to 79. Let's assume everything after 79 is gravy. You've got 28,000 days to live. And when you, when you know the number of days you have left, then you will organize yourself a bit better. But effectively, I just won't waste time. I've become very good at saying no. And I have an awesome business coach right now by the name of Trevor McGregor. He gave me a, a lens by which I look at what I do, which is green time, excuse me, gold time, green time, brown time. Gold is everything for me. Gold is spending time with my family. Gold is why I've traveled to 96 countries 250 times. Gold is why I want to meet people like you because it's relationships with the right people. Gold gives me my happiness. Green is what's going to allow me to build my business, build my family. We got to go to the bank. We got to go buy food. We got to go do those things. So I'm okay with green. What I'm not okay with is brown time. I won't do it anymore. Brown time is binge watching Netflix. I I just don't have time for that because the one hour or the five hours I could be binge watching Netflix, I can also call five investors on the real estate front and raise a half, you know, raise a half million dollars for a multifamily project or let's not even raise a half million. Let's just say spend time with potential investors who my experiences in life can help make their lives better, which I really love because we're sharing ideas and how to get out of the rat race. I, th- and that's something I love talking about is how to get out of the rat race. Um, 
So I won't do much of the brown time. I won't even, if the fellows are calling to go to, I mean, it's COVID, but if the fellows are calling to go hang out at a bar or something, I'll evaluate it and be like, eh, I'm, it's, I'm either, I'm going to put crappy shit in my body. I'm going to waste my money on alcohol and I'm going to waste that time, which I could be using on green time or brown time. So I, the, the value of time is just infinite. There is no way that you can uh, put a dollar value on what uh, a minute actually means to you. And I, I kind of take that very seriously. I mean, that's, that's outstanding right there. And I, and I think that's what people struggle with sometimes is I think they undervalue their time. And I think that's what a lot of the, you know, a lot of the listeners and audience struggle with. And I know I do myself is kind of to your point around brown time, you know, the binging on Netflix, the going to the bar, hanging out, having fun, which is great. But at the end of the day, you know, is that really going to be the most fulfilling or, you know, is that going to invigorate you to, to continue to live the life that you want to live? Yeah, and exactly. And so one thing that I feel like you've kind of glossed over a little bit, though, is like, dude, like, I mean, you work for Accenture. You just recently retired from the military. You're a police officer. I mean, you work for this multifamily real estate investment firm. Dude, like, how are there enough hours in the day to, to be Maurice Villagine? I got you. I got you. Listen, uh, so I'm what the, I give the military a lot of credit for this. So I, you mentioned I was in the military for 22 years as a federal agent, and then as eventually as a lieutenant colonel, and then just retired. Just over the years, waking up at 4 a.m. became normal. And then reading all the, you know, professional development or self-development books that folks like us tend to read, I learned I had to create time to do all these businesses. I learned that I had to create time to be able to manage 38 or 35 properties on my own, 300 miles from south to north. So how do you do that? You wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning, okay? You knock out your workout if you're going to do it, but you wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning and you crush whatever you need to crush from a, a side hustle perspective, family perspective, or whatever by 8 a.m. You've created four hours. And then you go to your normal nine to five, you deal with your kids, you deal with your family, and at 7.30 when your kids go to bed, if you have kids, then you go back down in your basement, you sit at your table, and you work your, you, you work your butt off again from 7.30 to 9.30. That's six hours a day, seven days a week. That's an extra 42 hours a week, right? So an extra 160 hours a month. It, we all need eight hours to sleep. I totally get it. 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. is the most efficient, effective time frame in the day. No one is calling you. The birds might be chirping a little bit outside. It's nice and cool or nice and warm in your home. There's no distractions. You get so much done. Um, so I was always willing to create time like that. And then from what you're talking about with the employment stuff, I've always been willing to hustle when it has a purpose. So on the consulting side, I would work nine to five and then I would come home, be with my kids, do a little bit of extra side hustle, real estate work. And then like you mentioned, I'm a police officer as well. I was willing to get in a patrol car at 8.30 at night. And then because it's local community and I wanted to make a difference, I would patrol until 6.30 in the morning and now I'm willing to say it, but for four years, I never told anybody I was doing all of that full time on both sides. I wanted it because I wanted to give back to local community that much. I also knew that generating that extra revenue would add uh, effectively lighter fluid on the process of generating all that passive income. So the extra 80 grand, 70 grand I was pulling in from the police department and working while I was helping my community was another one to two condos a year that I was paying off. And I was willing to put in the hustle and time to do it. So there were definitely periods for 24 to 36 hours that I didn't sleep. It's not always the most healthiest thing. I won't do it nowadays like that. But at the time, because I knew what I wanted by the time I would get here to 45, I was willing to put in the work to, to, to make that happen. I mean, and I just think that shows, you know, the intentionality and, and what you're willing to sacrifice, you know, and I think going back to that, you know, what you're willing to say no to, right? I mean, you know, you're waking up at four in the morning, you're not just kind of rolling out of the rack at seven thirty, eight o'clock and getting things done. And I think that's what's really helped me personally is getting the morning going really early. Uh, you know, my kids wake up pretty early. So they you know, I've got about an hour and a half or two hours before they're, they're up and, uh, you know, we're hanging out. But I think that's one thing that's really helped me exponentially is just getting up. And I mean, 4am seems early, right? You're like, Oh my gosh, like, how can I get up at 4am every day? But once you get ingrained, and once you get, you know, like you said, away from that brown time, 
Yep. It really just rolls in. And then it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy because the more that you're like waking up at four, it just becomes ingrained in you. And that's just your body just gets on that cycle. And yeah. the efficiency that you have, you know, just the amount of growth that you have just pushes you to be like, I got to continue to be doing this because, you know, the amount of gains that I'm seeing are, are just are crazy exponential. Right. And I think that's just what's so important about it. But I just, I love the sacrifice, man. I mean, that's, that's a lot of hustle right there to get things done. So, you know, when people look at you and say, Oh my gosh, it's cool that he's got all this stuff going on now, but man, that's uh that's hustle to the extreme right there. It was work, but I, you know, I do want to throw this in. You people will hustle if there is a purpose to it. Purposeless hustle is stupid. It's stupid. You should be sleeping to take care of your body. You should be spending time with your kids. You should be making meaningful relationships with friends and, and things of that nature. If, but if you are going to sacrifice the, the beautiful things that the Lord puts us on this planet to go do, then let it be for a purpose. And my purpose at the time was, I'm an immigrant kid. I'm not going to sit in the nine to five racket for the rest of my life. That was the first thing. I want my, my own to, my dad always told me that his job was to make sure that I had more than him. Okay. My dad grew up in Northern Haiti, 100% impoverished. And thank God he got me out of that country because I would have been the kid running around with no shoes and no resources and no clothes. So I'm forever grateful to that man for what he did for me and for me and my brother. I want the same for my kids. So it, it is unacceptable if I have that resource and if I have that drive to go get the second job or do, do whatever it is I want to do, I'll get it done because there is a purpose for it, right? I really do believe that, you know, all the crazy hustle that we see sometimes on the, you know, Instagram and LinkedIn, I think a bunch of it is bullshit. But I do believe the people who have purpose are legitimately going after it. And my purpose was traveling the world. My purpose was taking care of my kids. My purpose was putting myself in a position where I would never have to answer to anyone except for God and my parents again. And I'm in that position at 45, which is really important to me. That's why I was willing to put in the hustle and the work and to sleep two hours a day sometimes and stuff like that. So if you have a purpose behind your hustle, chances are you'll have a better uh, opportunity of actually making it to the end line that you set for yourself. Absolutely. And I, I think that's what some people struggle with, though, is defining what that purpose is, right? You know, especially yeah. if we talk about in the investing space, in the high income space, in the real estate space, everybody's chasing more, 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 more. You know, that's kind of the next one. Okay, I made 100,000. Okay, now I need to make 200,000. Okay, I bought 10 units. Now I need to buy 20 units. And, you know, back to your point around purpose, what are they really wanting is their actual outcome, right? And you're talking about your freedom, right? I know you always say time plus mobility equals freedom, right? You know, that's your, that's your favorite equation, right? Not E, e equals MC squared, but uh, uh, freedom equals time plus mobility. And so I think that's what you're working towards. And I think that's for the audience and the listeners. That's really what I want you guys to think through is what is the outcome that you want ultimately, right? Is it more time with family? Is it the ability to travel? Is it that locational freedom? And I think a lot of people just think, hey, I've got to make a million dollars. I've got to make $2 million. I've got to make $3 million. And then they get there. And I know I've, the reason I'm saying this is because I've been there myself, right? You make a hundred grand, you make 200 grand. You're like, wow, this is great. But then you don't, you, the next day you wake up and you're like, I'm the same person. Nothing's changed. I'm, I'm exactly the same. Cause like you said, it wasn't for a purpose. It was just for that milestone that <laughs> I know you and I were talking about this beforehand, but that milestone that society and in my head was ingrained. Hey, yeah, that was it. You know, go to college, you make six figures and then, you know, if you could do better than that, then, then so be it. That's great. But that was just, it was just a check mark on the list, right? It wasn't necessarily something that I said, this is fulfilling. This is more of what I want to do. So no, I, I love that. I think that's the biggest thing. And I, you know what, John, I got up to in, in the district of Columbia, uh, like I'm a passive investor in a lot of restaurants. So I have, I have a bunch of them and I found my, it's no different than, um, the nine to five world where we compete for the title. That's, that's, equal to in the syndication world where we're competing for the number of units, which is equal to the restaurant and club world where we're competing for the number of clubs and restaurants we own. I found myself acquiring things just for the sake of being able to say that I acquired it. And the moment I did that, I got up, I remember when I got up to 500 units on the real estate side, and you'll never hear me say how many units I have. It's, it's irrelevant. It's what you do with the cash flow to have a better life. But when I did get up to that particular level, I looked at it and I'm like, why am I even, why, why am I doing this? And it was only because I had started to make the same mistake that I think a lot of corporate executives make, 
which is competing with your peers for the next thing. When I dropped my ego again, and I started focusing on additional cash flows, additional revenues, helping people, things of that nature, business just took off because money should be a consequence of doing things the right way. You know what I mean? I don't know. It just, it, it makes things, like if you have that purpose behind it and if you can figure out what you are using all this hustle for, all this entrepreneur, entrepreneurialism for, it makes things right. And for me, you, you alluded to it. I read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss 10 plus years ago. It is, my, it is effectively my Bible. I, it's around here somewhere. I'm always carrying it. I'm always rereading it. It's all torn up now with all these notes. <laughs> and, stuff. and he had that formula in there, and it clicked with me, that formula being freedom equals time plus mobility. And the way that you create time is with, for me, the way that you create time is with passive income. So I created the passive income, so that means I don't have to physically be anywhere to make money because money is coming to me. You can also create time by being a digital nomad and doing some other things from a lifestyle design perspective, and that's a different topic, but that's how I created time, was passive income. And then the mobility piece, as I sit in front of this map, which I always like to do, is I organize all my employment um, in a particular way around outcomes. You and I were talking about that before. Instead of hours, I was worried about outcomes, and I talked to my employers about that. I, I digitized all my mail. I don't receive mail anywhere. I use four virtual assistants right now to take care of some things for me. My landscaping guy just came to do all the leaves and all that type of stuff because I refuse to do it because my time is more valuable. So at, and, I, and, I, and I automated all processes for my real estate businesses, restaurant businesses, and um, some other things that I do. So what that means is when I leave next week for Cyprus, which I'd love to talk to you about, but when I leave next week for Cyprus, if I was to stay in Cyprus for three months, my business will run itself or I can run it from a computer. I don't want the 30 employees that we could probably create with Quattro one day or anything like that because my freedom, my freedom of my financial freedom, my time freedom, my geographic freedom, my freedom of purpose and my freedom relationships is way more important than me being stuck in one location. So it's that formula from Tim Ferriss, freedom equals time plus mobility. And I, man, I, I am not like this, I'm not Elon Musk. I don't, I don't have Elon money, but the way that the good Lord has given me resources to live my life now, having that freedom of time and having that mobility where I can be anywhere in the world at any particular time and I do it all, I do it all the time. I feel like the, 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 the richest man in the world. And I wish they would have just taught us this stuff in school, you know, instead of, hey, go out there and focus on money and get the house and get the two and a half kids and the dog and the three mortgages and the two car payments and superism and all that. I've just kind of figured it out. So it works really well. Well, I know our friend Jerome Myers re refers to it as the matrix, right? And I mean, yeah. so you have to kind of consider, right, who's the one that's sending this message out and what is their motive, right, in the end of, of saying all those things. And I don't want to get into a huge discussion about higher education and things like that, but uh, just, just to kind of leave it at that, you know, think about the message and the narrative that you're hearing and, uh, you know, what they're, what they're trying to push you towards. And, you know, when we talk about debt, especially on the real estate side, but debt on the student side as well, right? I mean, how is it? easy is it to rack up student debt? Why, right? why do you think that is? Right. And, yep. and anyways, I don't want to get political, but, uh, but you know, what I'm, you know, where I'm going with it, but, uh, all right. Well, I know you're chomping at the bit to get to the travel stuff, but I have to, I have to get one more question in yeah, before yeah, we get into that. So yeah. one of the things you mentioned that I think is challenging for a lot of listeners and especially folks that are in, you know, demanding jobs, high paying jobs is around defining that and, and being able to work it out. So it's outcomes based, right? So I'm, my, yeah. my scenario is a little bit different and I know yours is as well, but I, I want your take is that since I'm in outside sales, right? If I don't sell, they're going to let me go, right? It just, it is what it is, right? I got to eat what I kill and it is what it is. I know in management consulting, I know you're out there a lot and you can kind of define that as outcomes based, but what's your advice to the audience out there to kind of have that conversation or define that that W2 career so they can make it more outcomes based so they can kind of control that time and that, that mobility within that realm. You know what, man, ask a better question. That that's my, that's my advice to people ask a better question and ask for forgiveness, not permission. So when I did start in the consulting world, I told you I played football in college. I had one NFL tryout. It didn't go well. And I'm, I'm good with it at this point, you know, but I loved football terribly. Uh, to the extent that when I left University of Virginia, I was crying that I couldn't play football again. And when I was 23, 23 and a half, I got the urge to go back and I found out I had eligibility 
in Division Two. So I just went to effectively my boss or HR and I said, listen, I'm going back to school. What I'd like to do is come here and work uh, two days a week, 20 hours or 20 hours a week. Here's how we do that. Are, are you okay with this as long as I give you this outcome? Like I created the whole scenario instead of, are we allowed to go do this? So for a year, I literally went back to grad school to play football because that was the outcome that I wanted at that time. And my bosses were still getting the outcome they wanted from a work perspective. So everybody won. There was one other thing. Um, my firm is a global firm and I wanted to have overseas experiences. Instead of saying, how do I get overseas or whatever like that? I reached out to people who were already overseas and I asked a better question. I said, hey, I would love to be on your team. This is what value I bring. I bet you I could give you this outcome if I'm working remotely in this position. How do you feel about that? I convinced the people overseas. They called my bosses and said, hey, we would love to have Maurice on our team. So for seven years, I was supporting overseas stuff, working in Portugal, Swinland, uh, Portugal, Sweden, Finland, Norway, Hong Kong, Nigeria, France, and a couple other places only because I asked a better question. So whatever people are trying to do, I think if you go to whoever it is you're responsible to and find out what is the outcome that they always want from you and have a conversation with them about, it's not how many hours you see me working in front of a computer in a, in a day. Just tell me the outcome you want and I will get there, whether it takes me 100 hours or one hour, let me get there and make yourself indispensable to that person because you are continually crushing it, right? So I was just always asking a better question. I, I feel like I was just always asking a better question and going from the mindset of to ask for uh, forgiveness, not permission, and then articulating in a way where it was just a win-win for everyone. That's kind of how I've approached it over the last 22, 23 years. Well, and I mean, obviously to go back to the, you know, the limiting beliefs, right? I mean, so most people fall under the category of, well, if I ask, they're going to say no. So why should I even, why should I, I may, I may be able to think of that better question, but am I going to even ask it, right? right? So so the fact that you actually were able to overcome that and ask those better questions, I just think is tremendous. And I think there's, there's so much value in that. And I think a lot in the audience are hopefully thinking through that is how can I go about and structure it in a way that works for me and the, and the organization, right? Because they need that outcome because that's the value you're bringing to them. But, but to go back and actually ask that, and then, like you said, convince, I, I think influence psychology and, and obviously I'm a sales guy. So psychology and influence to me, is just so powerful and interesting. And, you know, to obviously influence them to the point that they're coming and championing you, right? It's uh, I'm reading uh, Orrin Claff, uh, flip the script right now. Oh, yeah. And, you know, kind of that inception idea, right? It's like, oh yeah, Maurice is right, man. He's really good at this. Let's, uh, you know, let's get him out here. He's going to make me look really good. So I just think that's so powerful. And I think that back to the limiting beliefs, you know, just just ask the question. It's not, how is it going to hurt you? And make sure that it's a good defined question and the value you're going to bring is actually going to be there. I think that's the issue. There's a whole section in the four hour work week liberation, if you will, he calls it liberation where he kind of gives a formula of how you can extract. Well, we're in COVID time, so no one has an excuse right now. People should literally be moving to Barbados or Bermuda or Colorado or wherever the hell they want to be because everyone is working remote at this point. As a matter of fact, I was just telling this to a family member. She was asking, oh, should I tell my company that I'm going to move to Georgia? I was like, no. You get up, you go, and then you just make sure you're not breaking any policies. And then once you get there, you figure it out from there because life is more important. Life is totally more important. But if we're back in a standard environment, there's a section in the four-hour work week I'd highly recommend about how someone articulated to his boss the value of that person being at home or remote most of the time and uh, just kind of the talk track of how they went about it. It's really, really good. Awesome. Yeah. We'll definitely have yeah. folks checking that out. Cause I think yeah. that's a huge, huge opportunity. So, all right, well, let's, let's do it, man. I know you've been waiting. So um, let's get, let's get into this travel stuff. You just mentioned Cyprus, but I just think it's crazy. So you say 96 countries and I think the way you define or the way I've heard you define visiting a country before is, is, is meaningful, right? You know, it's, yeah. it's a couple weeks. It's not just, Hey, I touched my foot across the, you know, across the country line and Hey, I've been there. Um, so man, 96 countries, I mean, yeah. for some meaningful time, like that's outstanding. Like what, you know, what's this been like? And, uh, 
you know, what keeps driving you and, and what have been some of your favorite experiences? Dude, you know what it is? I don't travel as a traditional tourist. It's exactly what you said, where I'm, I'm purposefully traveling to try and make meaningful relationships, learn about culture, learn about community, learn about things that we just don't know about. It all stemmed from one trip that I had when I was 15. My dad sent me overseas to Paris to stay with an exchange student for the summer who had stayed with me. His dad drove us around the country for 30 days. And here I am, a kid from inner city Boston, driving around France, having all kinds of experiences in a place that I didn't know existed. And it always stuck with me. And here's what stuck. We, we do the first grade, second grade, third grade thing. And then we get to high school, college, we get the job. And then we, you know, we get the job and we, we do the corporate America thing or whatever, whatever it is that we do. And somewhere, it, somewhere in that process, we start pressing repeat every day where it's like, it's, it's the matrix thing, right? That Jerome tends to talk about or whatever. But I don't like the idea of getting up every day and pressing repeat, pressing repeat as if it's Groundhog Day. And one of, one of the ways to break that up to me has been immersing in other cultures because I didn't know in Northern Finland or in Finland itself, there's the Swami people, which is like Native Americans here. And they have some of the same trials and tribulations that Native American, you know, the same, same trials and tribulations, right? I didn't know that there are is- major issues between uh, Israel and Lebanon and what happened and what occurred and all those types of things. I didn't know that Izmir, Turkey is considered a very westernized portion of Turkey. And it's like the Paris of Turkey where Istanbul is like the New York of Turkey. I lived a, a year in Eastern Africa when I was doing military stuff. There's a place in Africa called Djibouti, Africa, which is right next to Somalia. And, here, and I spent time in coastal Kenya. All of it, my, my man, is honestly because I don't want to stop learning. I think all this entrepreneurial stuff that I'm in, whether it's like the restaurants or going after all these apartment complex and helping people grow as individuals and some of the coaching that I'm doing now, and then the travel piece and going to all these countries. Um, I'll tell you about the Cypress thing in one second, but it's all because I don't want, I am definitely afraid of stop, stopping this learning process that we should be doing in life. So kind of that's where it all came up. And then the professional and personal development thing. You remember I told you when I flipped from single family to multifamily, I had stopped growing. I, I haven't stopped growing in multifamily. I think a lot is happening. But what I realized is from a legacy perspective, I want my family to have access to real estate overseas or to put my, put my name on something. So I've been purposeful about meeting people in different places, including Cyprus. I'm spending a ton of time there and I'm working on a land deal there. Haitian kids from inner city Boston don't necessarily go to Cyprus to buy property. I am because I want to figure it out and I'm going to fall flat on my face doing it and I'm going to make a ton of mistakes. But at at the end of the day, I know I'm going to have my name on something. So uh, it's just the travel is the constant learning piece. But I want to tie that back to everything you and I talked about today. You know, the entrepreneurialism, the life stuff, the figuring out outcomes at work. It's because I refuse to stop learning and to stop growing. Um, You know, and that's one of the ways that I do it is that constant travel. One of the things that you talked about, and I guess this kind of goes back to the Groundhog Day, you know, the push and repeat every day is we kind of get into this bubble, right? You know, so like you talked about like the white picket fence, the two and a half kids, you know, the mortgage, the, you know, the, the, the nice uh, loan debt on the car. And then all of a sudden it just kind of keeps rolling. Right. And we're just in this bubble. Right. So we just think we're insulated. And I mean, and to be fair, we're extremely fortunate living in the United States. Right. And I think that's one thing that I struggle with is perspective. And I, I want your take on about the kids part of it too, but like just even myself, right. You know, just, I only know my, you know, my, my bubble, right. My zone, like I'm in the IT staffing, we're in the real estate realm. Right. If we want to live in that bubble and, and not, see anything else and get ourselves any further perspective we can do that for the rest of our lives right yeah and i just think that's what's so impressive about this travel and why that's something that's that i want to do more of um you know i don't know if we'll be able to reach your level but uh but at least you know maybe uh maybe give you a run for your money but i think that's so important is the perspective like you talked about you know all these different parts of the world and we're no different right i mean you 
just because you were born in, in, you know, and then, you know, with your Haitian family and, you know, I was born in, you know, wherever I was born and we're all just people, right? And I just think that perspective and being able to understand and be grateful and help others and learn, like you said, that constant education, I just think is so powerful. So, so I know, but part of it is, I mean, obviously you've, you're a family, you know, you're a loving father as well. So what's, uh, what's been the impact on your, on your kids and, and how do yeah. you help them kind of learn and, and get that education? Cause I mean, you know, you're successful, you know, well, well to do dude, right? I mean, they could live in that bubble just like we were talking about. You no, know, for the rest of their I life. never want them to No, it, you know, they, they absolutely can. I, I have a fundamental belief that we live in a world community. The United States to me is the best country in the world. There's no way. I mean, for, for me, for, and I never compare myself against anybody else. So I'm speaking in, in, an, in and of myself. There's no way I would have been able to accomplish what I've accomplished in any other country as far as I'm concerned. But like you said, there's so much out there and there are so many amazing people out there. And the more you meet people who have different backgrounds, different cultures, different perspectives, you gain empathy. And when you gain empathy, you have the ability to operate in this world in a very connective tissue way. And I talked about those five freedoms. One of them is freedom of relationships. I love that I am making meaningful relationships with people right now. Lebanon happens to be the country that I'm focused on at the moment because it's kind of open during this COVID thing. And just for the political people, I get a COVID test before I go. I get a COVID test when I arrive. I stay away from people outside of the circle. Uh, unless it's a circle that I'm with, I get a COVID test when I come back, et cetera. So I'm doing everything very safely. But since November of 2019, I've been to Lebanon six or seven times already. It's because, one, people think that going somewhere like that is incredibly expensive. It's not. I would rather spend my time doing that for a quick four-day trip, which is what I did last weekend or the weekend before, because I'm reinvesting in those relationships with people that I've met. And man, I'm learning so much. So what my kids are seeing now, I have two. Uh, my oldest is 20, and then I have a seven-year-old. Jalen, my oldest, has been, he, I brought him to Lebanon with me uh, three or four weeks ago. He was, and this was, there was a massive explosion over there, and I rate, me and my business partners, we raised about 20 grand, and we, I brought it over there, and I did a lot of philanthropy work, which is really important to me. My son saw that. And now what he keeps talking about is, dad, how do I raise money so I can go help people in another country? And he's always giving in the United States and he's helping here as well. But he now has this concept of the world is a lot bigger than Washington, D.C. I want to see it and I want to be a part of it. My son Noah knows about this whole Cyprus thing. Assuming his school is virtual in March, we're going to try and spend a month or two renting a home over there and working from Cyprus, assuming we can figure it out, which I think we're going to be able to figure it out. So now my kids come to the map, and we explore things. We were looking at this the other day. This is Baffin Bay in between Greenland and Canada, and we looked up sailing trips up there, and it's like 200 bucks. You just have to get up to that part of Canada, and my, my son is half Canadian, and we can get out there. And he said, okay, Dad, I want to go here. He just picked it. He's researching it. He's understanding it. So it has had a significant impact on my family because it's not just, let's go down the street to the movie theater. It is, let's go down the street to the movie theater this week, and then next week, let's get on a plane and let's go explore this part of the world. And then the following week, let's go hiking in Colorado. I love the fact that we are being a very worldly family. And I, that as a father, that makes me so happy that my kids have that value and not, hey, dad, let me get a pair of Nike sneakers or, hey, dad, let me get the PS5 or there's a little bit of that because they're kids. But I want them to understand that the world has value beyond these commercial things that we tend to value here. That's so powerful. I mean, in the level of enlightenment, like you're talking about, you know, right, that's going to leave a lasting impact on your son. And then, you know, yeah. moving forward generationally. And that's one thing that, that we're trying to focus on. You know, my parents did a really good job donating, you know, means and, and, and money when I was a kid, but we didn't spend a lot of time actually being a part of the, the time aspect of actually doing that. And that's one thing that we've done. We shot out of the gate strong. Obviously, COVID's thrown a little bit of a wrench into it. Uh, I've got a pro project coming up at a national park here uh, in, the, in the latter part of December. But, uh, but yeah, we were doing some of these different food drives and things. And it's just good for them to see different perspectives. And oh my gosh, like, we've got to take these sandwiches or these brown paper bags full of food to folks that live in the park, you know, right? I mean, they don't, they don't know that, right, man? And so, like, I just think that's so powerful, giving them these perspectives, and it really helps them 
I think be more grateful for what they have and what they are. And then like to your, to your point, I mean, your son's already working on giving on his own, right? I mean, and so the world, if we all lift each other up and our family and our children, I mean, I think that's the best thing any of us can do, right? Is be the best parent, father, mother we can be to our child. But man, like that's just so powerful. I just, I really appreciate you sharing that. And real quick, I just want to tie all that back to what you and I were talking about before. Yep, I get it. And anyone who wants to reach out to me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, I don't care. I'll talk entrepreneurialism until my face is blue. But we, you and I just went through why I will not do brown time. I don't have time to do it because I want to go do all those amazing things, which is give back to people, have my kids be exposed to different cultures, talk entrepreneurialism, challenge myself on a land deal in some foreign country that I've never been a part of. I don't have time to, or I don't have time. I want to use my time in a more meaningful way and focus on those things. So it goes back to the nine to five. The notion, I remember, man, the notion of hitting networking events because I was interested in getting to a particular title and going out there and kissing people's butts and just to be part of the gang, if you will, that is exactly why I was willing to hustle and work two full-time jobs and what have you because I did not want to be spending all my time going after all those things that we're told to do so we can get this title, so we can get more and more money, so that by the time we're 65, we can go enjoy the world. No, you can actually organize your life today, and that's what you were talking about in terms of lifestyle design, where you are enjoying your life to the fullest now. Look into it. Lifestyle design is a very, very, very real thing. I would, if I was in my 20s right now, I'd probably rather be a digital nomad than I would going into corporate America because there's more exposure to a lot of the things out there. And frankly, we live in an internet world now where anyone can generate cash from anywhere. You know what I mean? So I just kind of wanted to tie it all back to your time should be spent on those things that truly have value to you as a person and your family. And again, I'm not saying my way of living is for everyone. Not at all. What I'm saying is I was... I was very fortunate that I figured out that focusing on the right things rather than what society was telling me to focus on, it has paid off. And, you know, I'm only in my mid forties and I got a long way to go and there's way more to do, man. But I, I feel super blessed that I fell upon some of this information while I was growing up. Yeah, man. No, I, I love that. I appreciate that so much. This, this conversation has been on point. I've, uh, it did not disappoint. I've been looking forward to it and mm-hmm. I'm so grateful and this has been awesome. So we're going to wrap up with the contrarian three pack. So right. man, you've been all over the place, but uh, so what is the most contrarian investment you would say you've made in your investing career? Man, I'll tell you. Uh, remember I told you I was willing to fall forward all the time? Yeah. I fell forward and failed forward going after condominium foreclosures in D.C. And the the short of it is condo associations could foreclose on the condo dues, meaning if someone didn't pay their condo dues, and I I secured a couple of these things, they would foreclose. So you could go to an auction, 20 grand, ready? 20 grand. I got a condo. No, the, the, the last one I did... My, me and my partner, we paid 80 grand for a condo that was worth 650 grand. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Let me think in. We, we did it three or four times and we got three of them to stick. And I, the way we figured it out was we saw an article in a newspaper about DC condo laws. So I'll leave it there. But that's what I mean about not being afraid to fall forward. Like we just, we just went after it and you know, ended up getting well into seven figures of benefit as a result of it. So it's pretty cool. And it stems from that education again, too, right? You know, that definitely it's not brown time, you know, researching those, uh, those type of activities that could be that home run, right? You guys were probably playing for the single. And then it just so happened that you're like, hey, this is interesting. Like we could pick this thing up for a discount. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, we didn't expect that type of discount. No, it was awesome. So that's, that's probably the, the most contrarian thing I've done. Nice. Well, what is your favorite activity to do with family outside of business and, uh, and all this investing stuff? Business and all this investing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's over here to my left. There is a kid's version of Monopoly. I, I just bought the regular version of Monopoly for my son, Noah, who's seven years old. We just started playing it. The reason, I, I get it. Like, well, you know, that's, that, that's a lot. No, it's not because no one is going to teach them these values. If I don't do it, they're not going to get these values. Remember I told you for the 15 years I did it on my own, it took way too long. 
I don't want my family to rely on the structure that society says that they have to make money. If the kids want to go be a doctor, fantastic. If you want to be a firefighter, fantastic. If you want to be a lawyer, fantastic. But I want them to have a choice. So when we spend some of our quality time, it's usually on these kinds of topics and stuff like that, or we're playing baseball, one or, one or the other. Nice, nice, absolutely, absolutely. And then uh, wrapping it up, so what, what offers you the most fulfillment in life? Ugh, giving back. I, I said it before, we live in a world community. I love being in different parts of the world and giving back in meaningful ways and being a representative of the U.S. I, I miss the military for those reasons because I got to be a symbol for, for things that were good. But what, what I'm finding now, and I'm hoping it, it'll, like it, it resulted in me coming on your podcast, right? I'm spending way more time helping people figure out how to break the nine to five or how to generate just a little bit of passive income. You don't need a lot. I mean, you could generate three grand of passive income and move to a place, a foreign country or Southern Alabama on the Gulf where it's beautiful uh, and have $1,000 of rent, $1,000 of expenses, and you have $1,000 to live well right? You just don't need a lot. So my giving back right now is really helping people figure out this living space through lifestyle design. And then I'm still a, a, a police officer in the DC area. It's hard for me to let go of it because I get to be, I mean, even in these content, um, contentious times with everything going on in the policing space, forget about that for a second. I just love, I still love being the guy who gets the 911 call and there's a burglar in someone's house, and I get to go in and yank that burglar out, and a family is safe when they go to bed. I still like that feeling of being part of the community. So for now, I'll still be a police officer a couple days a week until you know something happened that forces me out, but um, it is very hard to give up. So those are some of the ways that, I, that give me the, the most fulfillment and the most passion. I'm just impressed. You got some stones, man. Yeah, just go yank that burglar out or ain't no thing. <laughs> Especially with everyone packing nowadays, man, that, that's, out, that's outstanding. So, Somebody's got to do, do it. And yeah, yeah, no, I, I respect that. Stuff. You don't run away. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, all right, Maurice, well, this has been outstanding. What's the best way for the audience to get a hold of you? I mean, geez, I don't even know what they're going to talk to you about, but I know Quattro <laughs> Capital, they better move quick. Those, those commits are filling up. So, uh, yeah, man. Uh, so, listen, on a business front, my, my company is called Quattro Capital. You can find us at The Quattro Way. Quattro with two T's way.com. So we buy multifamily property, value add property. We raise money from investors with the goal of hopefully 2Xing or doubling folks' money in a certain time frame. But that is all to meet people's life goals of financial freedom, time freedom, geographic freedom, life freedom. I will talk to anyone about those topics, about getting out of the nine to five, about lifestyle design. You can find me at the quattroway.com on the website. You can go to my Instagram, which is Maurice Philogene, and you'll see some of the lifestyle things that I tend to do. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn at Maurice Philogene, and then also on Facebook at Maurice Philogene. But please, I absolutely love connecting with people. There's never been one person in the last two years of doing kind of podcast interviews or what have you that I have not called back or not spent a half hour on the phone if they requested it. Because we, if somebody would have helped me, you know, you are, you are responsible when you get to a certain point in your life to put your hand down the ladder the same way you put your hand up the ladder and someone pulled you up, right? So to the extent that I can help anyone, I will. And then networking with amazing people like you is a passion as well. So I love talking to anyone. Yeah, man. Well, no, th th this has been outstanding. So thank you again. Looking forward yeah. to continuing the conversation with you and, and, and seeing where you land next. You know, I mean, you're going to be in Cyprus for a couple of weeks or months, or maybe you're even buying some land there. So I'm waiting to see how many, how many deals you can do in different countries. <laughs> yeah. happens, brother. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. And I'm honored to, uh, to have come on and chatted a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Until next time, live fulfilled. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.